0: But for now, let's get to the episode. Part of the Apologetic series, posted December 7th, 2022, titled, Christian Cop Shoots Bible in the Foot. J. Warner Wallace response. Just like an untrained newbie wielding a gun, a non-scholar apologist might just as likely shoot themselves as defend the faith when it comes to Bible history.
1: See that?
2: I just shot my foot.
0: I give you a choice between moving to Canada and shooting yourself in the foot. and You chose the bullet? Such is the case with Detective J. Warner Wallace. He taught
2: me the proper
3: way. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's not funny, Ben.
1: No. Stop. Stop it.
0: Welcome to Polygia, where a former Christian takes a look at the claims of Christians. In a recent interview, cold case detective turned Christian apologist
3: Jay Warner Wallace was asked, "Is there anything I could say to you to make you not believe?" Yeah, but there's something new that might pop up that might change my view. If I'm being honest with you, mm-hmm. but I but what would it have to be? Well, I don't know what could come up. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say, for example, you found a, a a set of documents that you could search could know with certainty were. Were like a Q. They would say, "Oh, the the Gospels are written from a common document that was used prior, called the Q yeah. doc."
0: Oh, that's some inside baseball. Before we go further. Let's have a few Christian Bible experts tell us what the Q document or Q source is. There are four accounts of the life and teachings of Jesus. Now, three of those Gospels share a lot of content in common: Matthew, Mark, and Luke.
1: How do we explain both the significant similarities between the synoptic gospels and these really interesting differences that they have amongst each other or from each other? All but eighteen verses of the gospel of mark show up in one or both of matthew and luke so if you see almost verbatim recollection
0: of facts in matthew mark and luke scholars typically think that matthew and luke are using mark as their primary source there but what happens when you have virtually verbatim repetition between matthew and luke but it's not even in mark they can't be using mark
3: Q is a hypothetical source that has been proposed to explain certain verses that are in both Matthew and Luke.
1: Biblical scholars are so clever with our names. Um, We call it Q, which is the first letter of the German word Kelle, which means source, because we're so clever like that. There are no Q
0: manuscripts of this ancient source. It's just a hypothetical source that Matthew and Luke would have used.
1: In some way, shape, or form, there are stories out there that these gospel writers are working with. Perfect.
3: Now back to Wallace. The gospels are written from a common document that was used prior called the Q doc. I don't think that's the case. I think Q is simply the oral tradition. The detective's personal conviction
0: that the common elements shared in the gospels of Luke and Matthew are an oral tradition rather than a written document isn't an unreasonable opinion in that we don't have convincing evidence either way. But the author of Luke himself, in the very opening verse of the book, acknowledges that there were many written accounts of Jesus' activity floating around prior to his work. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. And goes on to say, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. If the Gospel of Luke is a reliable witness, then any premise Jim puts forth, predicated on a lack of written accounts circulating widely before Luke and Matthew were penned, is simply in direct contradiction to the facts of his own material. The trouble is, Jim has built his entire apologetics empire on his folksy notion that the authors of Luke and Matthew sounded just like the kind of eyewitnesses he brushed up against in his police gig, so at every turn... Jim pushes back against even Christian biblical scholars.
3: You've got people who are either experts in philosophy or they have great manuscript script, um, uh, expertise or they have great expertise in the history of the first century or the history in this case of, of ancient times re- regarding Jewish culture. And that gives you a certain expertise. I, that's not who I am. It's not. I know how to put together cases and make them clear for juries. So I listen to the experts. I don't always agree. Acknowledging
0: what we would call plagiarism isn't going to help his narrative gimmick.
3: It's the tradition of people who said it the same way for 20 years Mm -hmm. and then wrote it down.
0: Okay, well, it's great that you acknowledge decades of people merely passing the story along. Consensus of scholarship says closer to 40 years than 20. But that's not important right now. What we want to affix as uncontested and true is that the stories of Jesus were merely word of mouth for a long time. Now, Wallace subtly slipped in the phrase, people who said it the same way for 20 years. Now, that is something we have no evidence for and have absolutely no reason at all to be confident in. How could we possibly know that what was whispered in year one matches what was being reported in the marketplace in year 20. We can't. By definition, it wasn't written down, so there were no records. Anyone who's played the game of telephone knows how ridiculous it is to imagine that stories would spread unchanged over that geography and time. Apologists like to assert that careful scribes protected the written works from changes, but that's not the objection. Literally nothing at all is protecting the verbal
3: stories from evolving in each telling. And that's the common frame of reference. Those are the common details that everyone recited over and over again. Rather than embrace the notion
0: that a written cue source would be fixed earlier and therefore be more plausibly reliable, Jim wants to pitch a hypothetical that will allow him to hold
3: on to his eyewitness premise. Or so he thinks. So, for example, I notice that when I'm talking about certain evidences for God's existence, I say them the same way
2: that Frank does.
3: Frank Turek. You
2: all remember Frank Turek, right? Let's call it evil. Where does evil come from? Religion. Religion. And it largely
3: is because we kind of developed this idea, some of these ideas together, speaking publicly. And now he borrows. He'll talk about the same three motives for murder that I talk about the same way. I'll talk about some of his stuff the same way. So I know where you're going with this. A
0: speculative notion that oft-repeated talking points will be accurately remembered. But before getting there... Jim voluntarily describes how his eyewitness allegory initially formed as a cross-pollination from multiple contributors. Jim's lectures incorporate ideas that he inherited from Frank. Frank's lectures incorporate ideas he inherited from Jim. Both lectures changed. But what is Jim trying to argue for here? That oral traditions are unchanging and eyewitness testimony is specifically first-hand. Without incorporating anyone else's ideas.
1: Yeah. So
3: what happens is you end up repeating. Now now I've said these things like 20 times. If you were to do a transcript of all the videos out there, you'd have a hard time knowing if it was Frank or me on some of these pieces. Because he's borrowed from my chain of custody ideas. I I do the same thing. So by this logic,
0: even if Wallace is correct and the Gospels align with markers of eyewitness testimony... That could be merely a remnant of borrowed phrases that the author heard from someone else, demonstrating that the authors need not have been eyewitnesses to reflect such properties, or even have known eyewitnesses. This is why scholars, not beholden to inerrancy statement of faith commitments, are free to acknowledge that the Gospels are clearly drawing from multiple sources. To insist that the authors were personally eyewitnesses, is wishful thinking rather than inference from evidence, just as Jim told us you would be hard-pressed to know whether it was he or Frank on some of these
3: issues. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so we all do that, right? So now that becomes this oral tradition that's out there. And if one of us writes a book or two of us write a book, we're going to include the same kind of verbiage, you know, the same kind of verbiage with how we express it. But it's because we have a common oral tradition.
0: You attribute the verbiage similarities between you and Frank to common oral tradition because you know that you two have toured together but what if we point to Christians who use your phrasing or Frank's phrasing when posting messages in my comment section, something that happens all the time? I have no way of knowing whether they read your books, heard your lectures, or both. That evidence is inconclusive, just as the evidence of a Q source gives no definitive reason to confidently affirm a written document or an oral tradition. It's completely ridiculous for Jim to be sticking his neck out here. But since he's the one who put it in the
3: guillotine voluntarily. And what I have discovered also is that we end up speaking these things over and over and over again. So that if you were to transcribe, and I used to tease Frank about this because I've heard his I don't have enough faith to be an atheist talk. We did these fearless faith conferences. Oh, my gosh. We did these and I I heard that talk so many times. I could give it you the could, same exact, yeah, I could pause could for the same it. jokes. If, yeah. if you were to line up the audio files, you would see they peak at the exact same times because we're delivering it the exact same way. Frank's
0: I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist book, the original foundation of his speaking tour lecture, came out in 2004. So Frank Turek has been honing this material for at least 18 years. Jim even mentions that he pauses at certain spots, anticipating where jokes will land with the audience. By the way,
2: all the proceeds from the sale of the books, the curriculum, the DVD, will go to feed needy children. Mine. (laughs) And by the way, all the proceeds from the sale of the books and the DVDs will go to feed needy children. Mine. All the proceeds from the sale of the books and the DVDs will go to feed needy children. Mine. I just want to point out all the proceeds from the sale of the books will go to feed needy children. Mine. Okay.
0: In his hundreds, if not a thousand, performances, Frank knows what gets a response and what doesn't. I think the comparison to a comedy set is an apt one. If you ever listen to behind-the-scenes interviews with stand-up comedians, like the 2002 The Comedian documentary featuring Jerry Seinfeld and currently available on Netflix, they all talk about practicing their material over and over in club after club, night after night, trying different phrasings, different timings, different cadences. They keep what works and change what doesn't until they finally have that tight set that gives them the best chance at big laughs.
3: Well, when I did an HBO special last year, I retired everything I've ever written and wanted to start fresh. Doing all, yeah, all the stuff I've never set before it anyway. It's just false. So this half is to me media developed material. Right. right. And uh, as you can see, it's quite painful. When you're crafting an act, you need to see how that material works in front of each different type of uh, situation. Do you believe you're in charge of deciding whether our brilliant ideas are good or not? You get to decide what's good and what's not good, and we believe you. And what the hell do you know about it? Nothing. I really didn't think I was at this point. I'm still not sure of it, actually. But I have
1: to see how this pulls together and how it feels. Does it feel like an act?
3: I was huge! (laughs) Here's that life! I could be anywhere in the world! (laughs) I'm in a comedy club in Cleveland. But that's what's working. It's looking good, huh? Oh, fantastic. Isn't that amazing? What it was world to world sensation. Yeah, it's really looking good. Oh.
0: You can find dozens of iterations of copies of Frank's talk on YouTube covering the last 10 years or so, and it wasn't static. Apply
2: the claim to itself. Let me give you an example of this. Suppose somebody were to walk into this room right now and stand up and say, I can't speak a word in English. What would you say, what? And hey, did not you just say that in English? Hitler wasn't such a bad guy. After all, he killed Hitler. <laughs> is it true that there's no truth? Because if it's true that there's no truth, the claim there is no truth can't be true, but it claims to be true. Did I say that right? Is it true that there's no truth? Because if it's true that there's no truth, the claim there is no truth can't be true, but it claims to be true. Did I say that right?
0: There's no reason to think that the early decades of Christianity were any different. But rather than looking to get the biggest laugh, the storytelling scorecard was winning converts. If a certain story of Jesus was ineffective at converting anyone, that story would either not be repeated or perhaps enhanced to try again next time. The stories that won the most converts would be most repeated because a convert would obviously only repeat the stories that worked on them. There is nothing in the oral tradition phase of Christianity that should make us think that historical details were a priority over conversion effectiveness. If a tale of Jesus miraculously feeding 40 people wasn't impressive, maybe next time the Christian said 100, then the next Christian 400, then 4,000. After all, What's a minor exaggeration in light of saving someone's soul from hell?
3: Well, I had this crazy nightmare. It left me thinking that if I'm not true to what the Bible says about homosexuality, it's like not warning people about a faulty elevator before they step onto it. So if I, if I really love people, then I have to say something. Love can't stay silent.
0: The neighbor you're witnessing to wonders how risen Jesus got out of a grave. So you postulate that maybe his body was in a stone-cut tomb instead. Accepting this notion, your neighbor now includes that hypothetical tomb in his evangelism. His friend wonders who gave poor Jesus a tomb. So your neighbor speculates that someone from the Sanhedrin had an extra spot. And now a Sanhedrin tomb is what your neighbor's friend preaches. And so on. And so on. Until 40 years later, the story that is written down has already grown, been cross-pollinated by who knows how many people, and naturally selected upon for maximum
3: conversions. Well, if you do that long enough, then you start writing it down. Why would you think, number one, That data stayed in my head that entire time Mm
1: -hmm.
3: because I've said it so many times the same way.
0: Of course, the fact that someone repeats a story over and over tells us nothing about the accuracy of the story.
3: When we recall an
0: event, we're not actually accessing the original memory, but instead we're recalling the last time we remembered the event. Any details that we get wrong become ingrained to the point where we don't even know the difference. if anything. The constant repetition invites further and further deviation from the original memory, which may also be flawed. And that's assuming it's the same person doing the telling from day 1 to day 7,000 when it's written down. Pass it from person to person, like Frank and Jim are doing, and put it through a system where being convinced is more important than being accurate. And this notion of repetition preserving truth Seems rather silly. It's even less convincing when you realize that Jim is merely speculating such a scenario as possible.
3: Anything is possible. By the way, we don't give a lick about what's possible. We only care about what's evidentially reasonable. There's no
0: evidence that his hypothesis reflects what was happening. It just preserves his preferred conclusion.
3: Mm -hmm. And then when I write it down, it's going to be... Because the idea here is that how can I trust that this thing I saw 20 years ago could be repeated? Well, if I've been repeating it for 20 years, there's a good chance it gets to the end Mm -hmm. and is written down the way it first happened.
0: Again, that's not remotely true. Our memories are so bad that when we repeat falsely remembered or consciously exaggerated aspects of a story, it ends up reinforcing the incorrect details as the correct ones in our brain until we can no longer tell the difference ourselves. In Jim's self-serving attempt to defend the Gospels as eyewitness accounts, he bewilderingly pointed out how over the course of decades that these stories had every chance to be influenced by other people, to be subject to faulty memory reinforcement, and to have the content be shaped by the desired reactions of those listening. We didn't even get into these memories would also have had to change languages at some point, just as the evidence in biology betrays a process of accumulating beneficial changes, so do the gospels that convince Detective Wallace betray narrative evolution rather than some kind of divinely protected first-hand eyewitness accounting. Oh, and you might be wondering: Did J. Warner Wallace ever connect this Q source rant to answer the original question about anything
3: that might change his mind about his faith? Mm-hmm. So I think that that's part of it, right? Now, I figure how we even started talking about that. But my point is <laughs> yeah. that I think we have to have this kind of faith. No,
0: no, he did not. For more of my observations on the flawed investigations and conclusions of J. Warner Wallace, tap on the playlist on screen now, and I'll see you over there. Later.